Sports, music, movies, culture, and faith. Featuring your hosts, John Gibson and Joel Flores. Hey there, welcome to Between the Frames. This is our 25th episode. 25! Yeah, your host, John Gibson, joined as always by Joel Flores, uh, my co-host. And That's right. Um, I Life is crazy, John, but hey, it is we're crazy. here. It is. And I, <laughs> you know, I'd like to think that sometimes in the midst of us recording, it gives us some kind of semblance of sanity when we do <laughs> respite. This, but, <laughs> it's um, respite for sure. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if uh, thanks for listening. I hope that you've been enjoying uh, as we've been walking through the decades of music. Um, we're winding down. We've got one more episode after that. This um, that will be in that series. Um, not sure if we're going to have uh, another episode between those or not. But but for this 25th episode, Joel and I are talking, and we decided that um, he, he humored me and decided that we we're going to focus on some of my uh, personal favorites in regards to music and these two movies that deal with actually two of my favorite um, artists and and really lyricists, I should say, uh, poets and lyricists. But um, So today we're talking about two artists that are probably, I would dare say that they may be slightly controversial in regards to whether or not people like them. Because I feel like these two artists are people that Either you love them or you hate them. And there's not a whole lot of middle ground when it comes to Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan, which um, mm. the movies that we're talking about today and, and their music um, are Blinded by the Light, which was based on a true story and uh, by, about a guy yeah. named ja- Javed Khan, uh, a Pakistani uh, teenager growing up in, in England. And then I'm not there, which is kind of a fascinating. Uh, it's not really a biopic. It's if you look at some of the descriptions about it, it says it's inspired by false stories, and it never officially says that it's a uh, biography of Bob Dylan. But there are different people who play Bob Dylan, and if if you're familiar with him you may know that he's gone through several iterations in his life of characters. Yeah. So it's almost, it's almost kind of like the, uh, Tony Clifton, uh, Andy, Andy Kaufman of musicians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, just, and, it's a very crude you know, example, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's funny cause you know, some of the other musicians we've talked about in the past, you know, Ray Charles, James Brown, others, they, they've had, They've ha- I wouldn't call them iterations. They they've kind of moved through different. Um, what would we call? I think it? eras, more like eras. Eras, like yeah. As, their, as their music changed, yeah. And, and honestly, I I think anyone who's going to have decades long staying power in regards to music is going to have to do that. I mean, <laughs> think about even like Madonna, mm-hmm. right? All mm-hmm. the different oh, yeah. eras of Madonna's music. We've talked about Prince before. I think it was definitely evident with Ray Charles. I mean, from his mm-hmm. start and and forward. Um, we've seen that with other people, and I you know, think, to be to be honest, someone like LL Cool J, man, he's been around mm-hmm. forever and relevant, right? So, right. like, you know, they they sure. they're survivors because uh, I think they I think really they all just keep being themselves, but they're mm-hmm. kind of another, you know, another iteration. You're right. So, I mean, it's not that uncommon. You know, Dylan wasn't that different from I don't know. He kind of pioneered that, I think. You know, so yeah, yeah, and and. Like most of my music, I had to find these two artists on my own. I, and my parents never listened to Bob Dylan. My, my parents never listened to Bruce Springsteen. I, I remember as a kid, you know, mo- because I have an older brother, m- most of the music that would come to me that wasn't churchy kind of music was music that came to me through my brother. And so the first song that I was even familiar with by Bob Dylan, you'd never know 
the name of it based upon what the words are, but it's called Rainy Day Women tw- number 12 and th- number 35. Uh, it's Everybody Must Get Stoned. Yeah, I, I have that album. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so, you know, everyone does their everybody must get stoned kind of like Bob Dylan uh, impression. And that was the first kind of exposure <laughs> for me as a kid of what Bob Dylan was. You, you hear Blowing in the Wind, you hear Mr. Tambourine Man, and of course... No, I like the obs- I actually like the obscure songs. Uh, oh, yeah. Like I like his I like his Nashville album where the the like Lay Lady Lay like there's so mm-hmm. many like classic, you know either whether either it was a quote hit or or off the beaten path. And I would say John, you know we've been talking about a lot of soul and kind of all this kind of mm-hmm. music that that came together. And you know yeah. my I always talk about this. My dad had a lot of albums, but what's cool is is he was very eclectic. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you said you either like them or you don't. And it's funny because he had like, you know, 10 of Dylan's albums mm-hmm. and um, which, you know, I get to enjoy. And and then um, he had a bunch of Bruce Springsteen. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, he loved Billy Joel. I would throw Billy Joel's one of those guys that kind of fits yeah. in here. And like an Elton John, like 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 um, like as far as you you love and appreciate them or you don't. And I think Elton mm-hmm. John's one of those guys. Uh- but like, but like, as a lyricist, those are some more lyricist-based types of people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and artists. So Charlotte and I have a joke because we have a friend who who wrote something uh, like two years ago on media. I can't stand Billy Joel. Every one of his songs all sounds the same, and I'm like, what is she talking about? Seriously. I go, he's got a he's got a sound right. that's his. You know, it's yeah. him. But I go, so every time a song comes on, we go, oh look at that, it's just like all the other ones. We'll be like, just yeah. like Piano Man or whatever. You know what I mean? So we have a joke about that every single time, and it's it's funny how people are like that. So they probably assume the same thing. Uh, if you've heard one Bob Dylan song, you've heard them all. If right. you've heard one Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band, you've heard them all, right? Well, and and yeah, it's because neither of these guys are guys who I would say have gifted voices. They have unique voices, but they those voices are not necessarily the greatest voices. It's interesting even comparing Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan to Billy Joel and Elton John because I think Elton John and Billy Joel, I love their voices. I mean, I um That's right. That it's it's different it's different, but I think that in in the songwriter category, they're kind oh. of that kind of great sure. songwriter. You know what I mean? Right. And yes, oh, and then yeah. they're really good singers. But yeah. but but Dylan and <clears throat> Dylan and Bruce Springs like Springsteen has a very husky like bluesy rock voice, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's actually gotten better as he's gotten older. The, mm-hmm. the, one of the scenes that you and I probably love from High Fidelity is when he's kind of in that clip and he's just sitting there playing the guitar and having mm-hmm. that conversation with <laughs> with him about yes. it and it's like, you know, I think oh, he's yeah. gotten kind of this you know, but there's other artists like that. Like there was like Joe Cocker and, you know, so many people who there's something unique about how they sing and i think we're we're in such an over-processed over-digitized world where Mm -hmm. we've almost forgotten how to appreciate just a raw not totally perfect um you know funny enough just a side tangent we're going to jump right back into this uh there's those people on youtube who the vocal coaches who will actually sometimes they'll there's one guy who will take really classic tracks he'll grab the daw and he'll actually put it through auto-tune and and um, he was doing Steve Perry, and his pitch is so perfect yeah. that when he put it through auto tune, it actually made it sound almost robotic because every note was exactly the note. That's crazy, right? And so, yeah. but it's one of those weird things where it sounds weird if you were to run it through there. Yet, if you have sort of imperfections, it does the job it's kind of supposed to do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But how our ear just hears that all the time, so we're not used to hearing a guy like. You know, Dylan sitting at a microphone in a cafe and playing, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've yeah. kind of lost that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's funny because uh, if uh, if you've followed Springsteen at all in the last couple of years prior to COVID, he had gone like so many artists do. They end end up either on Broadway or in Vegas, and he ended up on Broadway with this really really stripped down like stripping down all of his songs. It was either him and a piano or him and a guitar. And Yeah, but I think and, that's awesome. Oh, to I be do honest. too. I, honestly, I, I think when people do that, it has a tendency to have you really focus on what's there. Like especially now, yeah. you know, Joe, you're talking about adding some of these other things to we're so digitized in all the music of today that when you strip down 
to its kind of like most bass thing, and you you just hear an acoustic guitar, an acoustic piano, and a voice. It right. helps you to fo- at least it helps me to be able to focus on on hundred percent. Oh guys. yeah, totally. So totally. So so blinded by the light, like I mentioned, it's this story it takes place in nineteen eighty seven Britain. And so anyone who was alive back then who listens to this podcast knows that that was probably around the time of the the Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen, right? yep, Tunnel yep. of Love kind of era. Um, and Dan- Dancing in the dark. Yes. And, <laughs> and this, this kid, Jav- Javed, he, he's a, like I said, he's a, a British Pakistani um, art student in a place called Luton. And he's got a very domineering father. Um, he's depressed by not only all the life that he has and this kind of oppressive dad. His dad ends up losing his job, and then Javed has to go and, and do work and stuff. And in the midst of of this really difficult place, he's experiencing racism in in there because people are very prejudiced against uh, Pakistanis in Britain at the time. And he just a friend lends him. Uh, Bruce Springsteen albums and he goes and listens to it and in in the midst of all that's difficult with what's going on in his life he he finds Springsteen and it's not just the music but he really really digs in to uh, to the music and he uh, you know in the midst of where he is this discovery one of I can't remember if it was Javed or or his friend they say you know Bruce is a direct line to all that's true in this shitty world and I thought to myself when I heard that I thought to myself okay you know in the midst of I don't know what your teenage years were like but mine sucked and and I would never replay them and I think that in those few years of formation of, you know, 13, 14, 15, especially the music that we hear has such an incredible opportunity to shape us and form us and to Mm. inform us as well of what, what are we dealing with? And it's, I I love the, every time I watch this movie, I love it more just because of the artistic nature of it. There, there are moments when Javed's discovering another Springsteen song and the words pop up on the screen and, and you get to focus songs like, the, songs like Promised Land by Springsteen and Born to Run and The River, all these things that, that when you really... And that's... Springsteen, to me, was able to capture the essence of the working man sort of blue collar New Jersey per man, you know? Well, I think it's, I think it's something we would identify with kind of being from New England, right? I mean, it was my, my dad and like everybody else. Right. You know? And Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're a hundred percent right. That's, it's that, I mean, it's even like, you know, what Bon Jovi would sing about, you know, Tommy, Tommy used to work at the dock, right? And Gina worked the diner all day. And it's like these songs about, um, I think we connect with with the songwriters who write songs about like actual people. And so they take different bents, right? Like mm-hmm. so Bruce Bruce will speak into um sometimes it'll be a song of like hope, it'll be a song of like this is the situation that's happening now. It might be a reflective piece, I mean whatever it is and and but it's putting the audience at a front and center. Yeah. And that's really unique because a lot of rock bands or artists were often writing about, you know, maybe stories that had to do with them or, you know, mm-hmm. for you know, whether it was drugs or partying or, you know, women or love sure. or whatever it might be. Yeah. I think it's that that flip when you flipped it around and started talking about what are the people experience? Because he was also probably thinking, especially back then, John, in the yeah. vein of, okay, I'm playing like arenas. You know what I mean? I'm playing stadiums. And when people come, to, when people come, I also want to tell their story where it's an everyman story. You know what I mean? And, and maybe right through my experiences, but people are like, yes, I totally hear what you're saying. You yeah. know, and it's all—it's almost like I mean, it's almost kind of like right and worship a little bit, not not to be heretical, but it kind of is like sure. pulling you into the whole dynamic of the story, right? Yeah. So. Well, and I, you know, I'll be honest. Springsteen was the I, I had 
just kind of generalized him in a very, you know, unfair way, basically, because I heard born in the USA. I heard that, born in the, you know, kind of that gravelly voice. And I just wrote him off. And um, after after college, after actually Carrie and I got married, uh, right after 9-11, you know, we were living outside outside New York City in Connecticut and we were having a Bible study at our house and one of the guys who ended up coming to the Bible study was a big Springsteen fan and after out of in the wake of 9-11 Springsteen kind of his the cathartic response for him to 9-11 was writing the album The Rising and that was the album that made me a Springsteen fan. Uh, I mm. this this guy, this friend of ours, introduced me to this album, and he's like, "You you need to check this album out." So, so I did, and it it was it remains on my you know the top ten Springsteen yeah, albums great. list because of just the way. And I've covered you know when I used to play coffee houses, I covered "My City of Ruins," one of the songs on there, and. It's just really a well-written album. You can, especially for those of us who lived not far from New York City, right around 9-11, it captures that American spirit. It captures the the depth of loss and just the gravity of what happened. Because I, as much as not, I mean, this is going to sound like a New Englandy kind of snob thing, but I, I don't say it to be snobby, but... As much as 9-11 happened to the United States, I don't think that people living outside of the sphere of New York City fully understood the depth of and the impact that it had on New York. Until, Unless you've been there or lived close by, you just, it, you know, if you lived in California, it was like, okay, it happened, we're sad, we're angry, all this other stuff. But... You have to have lived around New York, to, I think, to fully experience some of the deep, deep loss that happened after 9-11. But, and maybe that's not fair, but that's my opinion about it. But No, I, I think, you know, obviously there's there's the people and people who knew people, but there's a culture iconic. I, I always feel like there's something missing with the World Trade Center gone. You know, right. I, I get nostalgic when I see it in a movie. And there's a symbolism to it. There's symbolism to it, right? Like, and interestingly enough, um, there's a family up here in New Brunswick in Fredericton who they're a couple, they're an IT couple. And actually they had a very successful business and it was in the trade tower and it, and it went down and, and they weren't there at the time, obviously, but it's interesting how they told me stories from their perspective, how, how it affected them Mm. and everything. And they're doing pretty well now, but like, you know, the, the fallout, how it was far reaching, I think in this region. Right. And so, There, there's so many things to think about that. I mean, I'll always remember that as being my first day of teaching, period. Mm-hmm. It's my wow. first day. I was getting ready to get into classes and students were taking pretests. I was in the boarding school and I had to go downstairs. And, you know, their parents were flying out of Boston to go home. And I'm like, you know, we're wondering, like, you know, this is before everybody had 50,000 cell phones everywhere. And you're like, are they OK? Yep. Were they on that flight? You know, and wow. so. There, there's a long-lasting impact, but music has a big power to heal, and I think the voice coming from, you know, there's something, I think the voice is coming from the actual situation, and, mm-hmm. and that's why it spoke to somebody like Javed, um, who who's looking for hope in something, who's an outsider, okay, so he's an outsider in his culture in the UK, and he's an outsider to his own Pakistani tradition, mm-hmm. because he's trying to find his place, and I totally identify with that. Yeah. I totally identify as being Puerto Rican and not as being, you know, completely American, but always looking like a foreigner, you know what I mean? I understand this, like, where is my place? And for him, it's a whole other level, because mm-hmm. as a society, we have an assumption of, of what they're supposed to do and what their jobs are and their parents have a high 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 pressure of wanting them to succeed because they know that they have to deal with things so much more extra and that life is going to be more difficult yet at the same time they don't want them to integrate and totally lose their culture so you have Javed who's looking at these songs of of the everyman of hope and it's something that inspires him not even being an American Mm -hmm. to to want to pursue his own dreams and i think that's kind of the point of that story is 
is I can do this too. And that's so true for so many people oh, all yeah. across the world who yeah. love great American music, you know, but who, who love music. It's this mm-hmm. idea of, um, that was mine, by the way, my generic foreign voice. The, the <laughs> idea is that everybody everywhere yep. has this longing desire to succeed. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm not gonna. So, John, I was gonna ask you this, and we're not gonna focus here. Did you ever happen to see? Um, I'm just thinking of it because it has to do with a foreign kid in real mm-hmm. life. You mm-hmm. know the story of Arnel Panetta, who sings for Journey. He, uh-huh. he every man, the the biography on him, uh, Every Man's Journey, was on Netflix for a while, and it was okay. really pretty powerful. And it was shot by a Filipina film crew and okay. they followed them around and it's literally his story. I mean, he was starving like he was one of a, a, of several kids whose mom was sick and he grew up on the mm-hmm. streets. And the way that he ate was because he was singing, walking around wow. in the streets and singing for money at like eight years old. Yeah. And here you have this kid who it, it tells their story. And, and it's like this. It's like the real life story of mm-hmm. Javed of uh, the only thing I have is this. There's no, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go right. to college. I'm going to have a house. It was like, I just literally am trying to survive. And the music, Don't Stop Believing, all these different kinds of things spoke to this idea of no matter what, don't mm-hmm. give up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and I think that we have to remember this is what concerns me. You said a great statement, John, about, yep. you know, in your teen years when it was really hard for you, you had you had this music that could speak to you in that situation mm-hmm. you were in. And we know this scripture doesn't return void that it that it informs and changes our hearts and minds. I'm really concerned. I know I sound like an old I'm going to sound like a boomer, but I'm really concerned with the the constantness of the negativity in music or the real mm-hmm. shallowness. Hold on a minute. Mm-hmm. In mainstream pop music that's pushed sure. peddled yep. to the kids actually krs one says it's peddled to you um you know like a drug because mm-hmm. i was just listening to some stuff today my boys were always laughing and joking about it mm-hmm. but isaac goes this is really what they listen to it's like you know little baby or whatever and it's all this i go dude and i like hip-hop man i'm listening to this i go what are they even taught first of all right oh yeah did they even graduate because everybody from our whatever they all went to college and everything like they're actual like a bunch of them are actually poets like that's why people's minds were blown when they saw dre at the super bowl show he plays the piano i'm like you know dre andre dr dre you know he's like a real musician right Right. you know like they all went to college and he's like educated in prose and all that his image is blah 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 but like you know what i'm saying it's so different than axel rose being a musician and screaming on a microphone so it's like they disconnect that whereas some of these guys that are out today i'm like dude like are they just doing tiktok videos where the beats not, there's not even a hook it's just a beat and then right. like doing this auto-tune singing over it about they got up and went to the store and it's it's just vile the whole thing is vile yes. okay and yeah. i sound like i'm old it's not even no, west coast I, hip-hop vile it's yeah. just vile right. and it's like dude no. this would have been that one song we were hiding from our parents but it's every song yes oh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and well, I'm like, and what it, are the kids learning from that? You know, it's like, funny, too, because Javed's dad, you know, you think about that time in the 80s, like mid to late 80s, you know, that was the time of the clash kind of the clash ending. And it was post punk, you know, right. Sex Pistols yep. had come late 70s, early 80s, I think, in Britain. So there was so much more rebellious music than Springsteen. And yet Springsteen was the music for him of rebellion. And it it speaks to kind of the relativity of rebellion in some ways, because rebellion from him was just kind of breaking out of some of the cultural stuff. That's right. That's right. You know, I I think not just a Middle Eastern culture, but I've I've got friends who come from an Asian culture and stuff where it was very much about flying under the radar. Like, hey do whatever you can to fly under the radar because they saw the African-Americans, they saw Hispanic people who were getting, getting, you know, having prejudice against. And, and they said, we don't want that to happen to us. So if we just kind of show up, do our thing, keep your head down, don't, yeah, keep your head down. Then, and that's basically what his dad says, because Javed, he, he's, he, as a high school kid gets a, a, 
front page story on the paper and his dad's horrified. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, why, why are you doing this? He's like, we, we don't want to call any attention to ourselves. And you just think about, God. And that's the, that's, that's the beauty of that movie when his dad finally comes to see him and it's this whole, like, it's an emotional moment, right? Because there's this understanding between them of, uh aha, you know what I mean, and, mm-hmm. and it's like they they kind of understand each other's perspective, and 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 you're right, that is very much the thing. I mean, how often do we see, you know, people of you know other ethnic groups usually making news headlines and that kind of stuff? You know, my son Isaac has has a joke all the time. Uh, there's this YouTuber he follows, Stephen He, who's hysterical. He's from Canada, I believe, and he's he's uh, Asian descent, and his I believe he's Chinese background his dad he does an imitation of his dad the typical mm-hmm. Asian dad it, yeah. it is hilarious so the dad's always like you know he does the accent and he's like what's wrong with you he's like you know doctor you know he's like at five years old I was starting a business and a doctor and like you know you failure right total right. failure and what's funny is it speaks into this whole idea he has sections where it's him talking to his dad and mm-hmm. all these little plays and these tropes but anyone who is Asian or Middle Eastern would totally totally get every one of those jokes because it's that pressure of you've got to be you know, you've got to be this, right? And yep. um, and and there's a goodness behind it, but it's very much sure. a pressure too. That's hard. You know, even the musician don't be a musician unless unless you play the violin. You're going to be in an orchestra. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like like you know all those jokes, and we can kind of chuckle and laugh because we all had friends like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we we know. And so there is. It's it's a situation you and I haven't come from. Whereas you you had a totally different kind of restriction for a totally right. different kind oh, of reason. Sure. Yep. So your rebellion your rebellion would definitely be the Clash rebellion. Right. Okay. Which sure. I love the Clash. Okay. Yeah. But you that would be your kind of rebellion. You know, yep. like anti-establishment. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Whereas for him, it's like. Uh, I just want to be on stage and grab a microphone. And it's like a totally no, right? And both of those have the same responses from from the adult figures, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's where yeah. you're getting to, right? So, Yeah, and it, I mean, we've talked a lot about, I think one of the things that we both find ourselves gravitating back to in some of these stories is that whole redemptive arc, you know? That's and, right. And even in Blinded by the Light, you see that redemptive arc. It, you know, it's it's a it's a good story because you start with you know, the main character and the protagonist, and 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 then his dad in right. some ways becomes the antagonist. Some of these these skinheads and others become the antagonists of the story. Bruce Springsteen, un, unheralded, uh, kind of unbeknownst to him, becomes the hero in the midst of it, and then. At the end, you see this. I don't know. I was I was really struck, even to the point of I think getting a little teary eyed when Javed's up there reading his piece at the end, and he's finally come to this realization that, gosh, I don't see eye to eye with my parents, but I totally understand that they've made significant sacrifices in their That's lives the so that point. I yeah. could have a different life. You know. And, and that's where he and his dad connect. That's yes. that moment that's very yep. powerful because mm-hmm. I think his dad also understands exactly what his motivation is. Mm-hmm. I guess that would best explain it. It's not that I don't want this identity. I don't appreciate you. I don't, I just want to do what I want to do. It has nothing to do with that. It's that I'm the next generation of a child that you've brought here to have a better life. And mm-hmm. I can't just exactly do what you do. I have to find my own path. And that's part of being a part of this society. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, identifying and maintaining my cultural heritage. And that is why you see people of color specifically and Italian mm-hmm. families and things like that in the United States, for example, you always go, how come you guys hold on to your culture so much? We're just all American. It's like, yeah, we are all American. And the beautiful thing about being all American is it's made up of a whole bunch of different cultures. I'll give you an example. That's like saying we're all the NFL, but we're just the <laughs> Patriots. Right. Yeah. No, you're not. You're you're a zillion different teams of different flavors with different colors and different mascots. Mm-hmm. And yet you're still the NFL. So if yeah. we could take that and understand that as America or Canada, 
that's how it works. And people who have a deep cultural root that want to keep them, it doesn't mean I don't like my country. It means we have a heritage that we are proud of and we enjoy. And actually, when you lose a lot of that identity because you tried to get rid of it all, it's hard to figure out, well, who am I? I'm just a mutt. You know what I mean? And and that's why it's unique to go into places like Little Italy or Brooklyn or places we all identify with the cultural aspects, but it doesn't make you, you know, if you go to South Boston, you have a lot of Irish, you know, uh, people who are proud of their Irish heritage and that doesn't make them not American. You know right. what I mean? Oh, <laughs> it's sure. ridiculous. So, well, so I, you know, we, we have to think about that from those perspectives, I think. Yeah, I, I think, because I think we see this in the church too with tradition, right? I, I think people hold on to it and, and the, the two things that I think are going to kill tradition faster than anything are when it's mandated and when you don't give a good reason why it's important. Um, and I've seen this countless times. I've seen it in the church. I've seen it in people's culture and stuff like that. When, you know, Javed's dad, he never gives him any kind of real reason why all this stuff is important. It's all just, no, you have to do this. You have to do this. And I don't know about you, but I don't handle it well when people tell me what I have to do. I just, you know, there's a Rage Against the Machine song that I want to play for people. When uh, when they tell me what to do, I won't do what you tell me kind of thing, right? You're absolutely right. And I think it's because, you listen, if his dad had the probably the maturity and the understanding and not the fear to sit him down down and say, listen, Javed, we want you to find your own path. We yep. want you to, to be who, you, who you're called to be or who you need to be. We want you to remember how important it is to remember your family, your heritage, mm -hmm. and the sacrifices we make for you. We love you. Um, just keep that as a core of your identity as you explore the possibilities of life. Yeah. I mean, essentially, if they had had that kind of conversation, which is really hard to have, and, and I understand why culturally right. and all that, you understand what I'm getting at. That's a yeah. totally different perspective. Absolutely. And then he's not so hard trying to figure out what the heck is my life supposed to be. He's yes. he's navigating through it and maybe having that ongoing dialogue with his parents instead. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is what I'm really realizing. And it's yeah. those dinner conversations. And a lot of times those things aren't allowed in culture like that. You know, it's your parents tell you and you listen, right? And so mm -hmm. it's hard. It's like being It's like being trapped. I mean, in a way it's, you know, it's like, being a woman in most of history where you didn't really have a say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Or, well, and one of the things that even as my kids, you know, two of my three are teenagers at this point, And I, uh, the one thing that I've had to remind myself over and over again is for those of us who are older and have lived more life, we have a much broader context from which to draw and compare our experiences. But for a 13 right. or a 14-year-old, even in Javed's case, like a 17-year-old, that's still a very, very small context from which to draw. And you just don't understand fully that, that as you live longer, your context broadens and, and expands. And, and these little blips on the or these things that seem like mountains to you become little blips on the radar. But that's another thing that like nobody sat me down when I was a teenager and told me stuff like that. Hey, this feels like the biggest thing for you right now, all this stuff. And and look, don't get me wrong, you know, being picked on because of your culture or your heritage or your race or whatever, like that's no small, you know, stuff. But some of this other stuff that teenagers are wrestling with, I just wonder if people would sit some of them down and say, hey, I mean, around where we are, not to get really dark and deep on this, but like we've been dealing with some major <laughs> mental health issues after COVID in schools. And there's yep, been same. A, 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 a surge in suicides and stuff like that. Yep. And part of me yep. just wonders, gosh, if we could sit some of these kids down and just say, hey, this feels like the worst thing in the world right now. And it's huge. It feels like Mount Everest to you. But trust me, if you keep pressing on, you'll, you know, you'll get past it. You'll see a little bit more. One of my favorite verses in, that Paul writes in Galatians, one of the most more encouraging verses actually that happens in Galatians, because Galatians is a pretty hard-hitting letter. But in Galatians chapter 6, where, where Paul says, you know, if 
that you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And I thought to myself, yeah. man, I need to remind myself of that verse. Well, every John, day. John, yeah, that's really good word, and I mean that's practical for what you and I are doing. And um, two things, and I think we need to we need to put the light on Dylan a bit here. But I would say you're absolutely right, and that's one of the things where I've been really grateful to have my youth that are coming out. And we were talking before the show here, mm-hmm. but I had at the time of this recording, I had about 42 kids who came out last night, and I mean. First of all, for Atlanta, Canada, that's not only beyond significant in my area. We're not even the largest church, but we are way the biggest youth group. That's I awesome. think actually if most if all of our kids showed up, it would have been about 60 and I was already feeling overwhelmed. But here's the deal, dude. The reason why is in 98 percent of them are unchurched. Uh-huh. You know, they're from the neighborhood. And and it's really what's encouraging about it, though, is. These are exactly the kinds of things I'm taking time to talk with about them, along with all the fun. And I keep it short and sweet, just enough that they they dialogue and feel like they can come to me. And now I'm getting to the point where I can start. I've been taking some kids out or bringing them some meals to drop off. And the deal is, is you got to remember, these are kids that have no context of anybody really to talk to. And also, they don't understand what a service and all that looks like. So I've really stripped all that stuff away. And... Mm-hmm. These are the things we talk about. And I do, I've, I've told them, like we did a whole series on anxiety and stress and really talking about, listen, this has been an unprecedented time for adults and especially for you guys, like your 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 youth, your childhood. Like, you know, these are things that are not easy and you, it's okay. Like you're not alone and, and we understand and mm-hmm. we're all trying to figure this out. And I think that to have adults tell you that, like that's that's a really big deal. The other thing, John, I was going to throw this out when you talk about we do things for tradition. So our church has decided this whole summer for eight weeks, because in the Maritimes, people all go on vacation stuff because, you know, we have good weather for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not doing church on Sundays. <gasps> Everybody wow. was like, what? We're only having gather. And we're not calling it church anymore, by the way. Anyway, we're calling it the gathering because church is everything else. So we are literally yep. calling it that our new website launching. So now we're going to gather on Wednesday nights and we're going to feed everybody. And we have a daycare. Any of the families who come, our youth families, anybody, just come eat. If you want to leave after, that's fine. But we're going to feed people, barbecue style, whatever. And we're going to have the whole sanctuary set up like, well, our auditorium set up as dinner tables the whole summer. And we're going to have more of a conversational time that's purposeful and meaningful, led by one of us that's going to take us through a summer series of of. It's going to be really good. But the point is, it's going to be way different. And then I'm going to focus on the kids and take any kids that are there for the community and do this really crazy, great, fun kids thing. But we're just doing it Wednesdays. And I'll tell you, there are some people from our church, as you could expect, that had a lot of pushback. You're not supposed to forget the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, the Sabbath is not Sunday. And the Sabbath is not even particularly the day. Let's get into all the semantics. And then first, and then furthermore, Sunday is a social construct. Like it's mm-hmm. a Western social construct. I mean, it could be Fridays. If everybody said it was Friday and that's how it was forever, then it would be on Friday. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like the why behind it. Now, do I want to stop gathering on Sunday? No, we're going to kick that back up in September. But I know, I know that something crazy is going to happen on these Wednesdays and already Families and individuals who have been skeptical, they want to come to that. They're seeing it and they're like, oh, I can't wait. And families and individuals who've been hurt by the church who aren't ready for a Sunday experience are really wanting to come to have supper and fellowship. And we have to do those kinds of things that may not be what we want, what I want, right? And and so sometimes we got to take those risks. So I was just saying tradition for the sake of tradition. Okay, so as we're talking about Dylan and I'm not there. Mm-hmm. dive into this because this cast is pretty awesome oh my gosh yeah yeah i, I mean six different iterations of bob dylan they, they they call him the actor the folk singer the electrified troubadour the rimbow <laughs> billy billy the kid and then woody guthrie and again you have to have some kind of context of i don't think this is a movie that the average like I know blowing in the wind is going to listen to and fully appreciate Todd Haynes does a a really good job I think here with this but uh, you've got Richard Gere playing him you've got Kate Blanchett, Christian Bale Ben Wishaw Heath Ledger, Marcus Carl Franklin who plays the Woody Guthrie young guy and then uh, Julianne Moore is in the film as well 
but what a great yeah, cast. Great, amazing cast. The soundtrack's amazing because I think most of it is actually Dylan music done by other people as well. And, um, you know, my just like I have a story for kind of coming to Bruce Springsteen, I have the same thing with, with Dylan. I Right out of college, I was starting to play coffee houses and stuff. And, and I was still, you know, guitar was not my main instrument. I was just a hack. I still am just a hack with guitar. But I could throw a couple of chords together, like like you two sang, right? Like three chords in the truth, right? And Yep, yep. And um, I actually had the privilege, a, a friend of mine, her brother, now he's even more successful than he was back then. He's, he's actually played and produced and been the, the um, music director for Bruce Springsteen and all kinds of other people. But he was gracious enough to just sit down with me and, and I played a couple of my songs for him. And he, he gave me a couple of albums and he said, you need to go listen to you know the three people that i remember distinctly he said sean colvin who's an incredible artist joni mitchell great canadian artist right and then bob dylan and uh, the album specifically that he said that i needed to listen to by dylan was blood on the tracks which is probably among his favorite albums and let me say as an aside too in our show notes for this episode I'm going to put in, hopefully Joel can contribute too, but I, I've already made up a couple of Spotify playlists of my top 10 Bruce Springsteen songs and top 10 Bob Dylan songs. So for anyone who, between the two of these guys, it's an, I mean, we talked about this a little bit with, with Ray Charles and James Brown as well. It's, it's a little bit of an intimidating exercise if you are starting from ground zero with artists like these well, guys. Well, one of the things I would say that's beneficial to that is I have not got on the Spotify thing. I probably have to. But what I like about Apple Music is the same kind of compilations as you have the essentials. You can mm-hmm. do the essential so-and-so. And then there's the essential deep cuts. Yeah. There's like the essentials. Okay, these are the ones if you're just getting familiar. Okay, you got to at least know these. And then I always love there's the essential deep cuts of the artist, which would be like a lot of the stuff we would probably listen to a bit more, right? Depending mm-hmm. on what it is. Yeah. So there are those things available to you on these streaming platforms. And yes, you can contribute your own list and stuff. But I definitely highly recommend if you're going to look at a Ray Charles, a uh, 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 James Brown, a uh, Bob Dylan, definitely, you know, um, one. to be honest with you with Dylan, I always grew up with him around my house, but <sighs> Because my dad had his niche, you know, mm-hmm. these are albums he would pull out once in a while, right? Like he'd pull right. this out or he would pull out, uh, you know, same thing with like a George Benson or whatever. He'd pull out these different artists that he'd listen to for a while and then he'd go back to his regular thing. And I think that for me, what actually encouraged it was my first year of college. I lived on a dorm um, and my the roommate next door who became mm-hmm. good friends, he was a massive Dylan fan and mm-hmm. we used to always listen to music together and he had the poster and we would listen to all different kinds of stuff back and forth and, and we would, we would hang out and just listen to albums and stuff and, you know, probably have a beer or two. But the, the point is, is that, um, that's where I really got like a full appreciation for it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And, and I think uh, like so many other things, it's funny cause completely as an aside arcade fire i don't know if anyone's a fan of them or not but mm-hmm. they just dropped an album last week and and i spent the last week basically just doing a deep dive I, i've listened to the album at least a dozen times um peter gabriel guests on a vocals on a on a song and i'm a huge peter gabriel fan but like Who? sometimes just kidding yeah. Sometimes with with stuff like that, I, I think I've probably brought it up because when we talked um, about uh, Charlie Parker, there's a John Coltrane reference in Mr. Holland's right. opus, one of my yep. favorite Mr. Holland's. And the way that he describes like starting to love John Coltrane it was such a beautiful picture and, and a description that I can totally relate to where he 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 listened to. I don't know if it was Giant Steps, one of the Coltrane albums, and he didn't like it the first time. And so he listened to it again, and then he listened to it again, and then he listened to it again. And that's kind of my the, my journey with Dylan, is that I, I had to listen to it again and again and again. And the more that you study 
Bob Dylan as an artist, as a person, as a musician, as a as a vocal kind of activist, like he started his career. You see the depth of, of who he is. He's one of those deep guys who no one really knows who he is. And that's the thing about this movie, I'm Not There, is that you've got these six different incarnations of Dylan. It's the poet, the activist, the rebel, the rocker, the holy roller, the, the sage, and you get a glimpse of each of them and you could point to, I, I tried to, even in my Spotify list, was, was kind of have a, a list that was fairly all-encompassing from early, early Dylan where, where you know, 60s in the midst of this, the, the love decade and yet the turmoil of racism and things with Cuba, all, all these things that are swirling around. He was the voice of that generation, bringing songs like Blowing in the Wind, like Masters of War, like all these other songs that are just incredible songs. And then all of a sudden, I, I think I think Bob Dylan and I could relate to each other in this, that everyone started projecting onto him what they expected. Like, hey, you gave us all these these rebellion songs. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And he's like, no, don't put me in a box. I'm going to do something different. And one of the most controversial things of his career was when he showed up at the New, New Newport Folk Festival in Rhode Island and went electric. And people got mad. They were frustrated. He ended up going to Eng like Britain after that. And people were like booing him and doing all kinds of stuff because he decided he was going to. He's going to do what he's going to do. For, like he, he's going to do what he's going to do. Like, I love the fact that every, are, everything becomes because everything that gains critical mass then becomes a fad oh it's not, not that it was a fad but that's the point oh, and yeah. he's like why am i going to keep doing this now i'm going to do this right and by the way i'm the artist and by the way i'm the one making the music and writing the stuff and i can play kazoo if i want to it's your choice to come out and see it oh <laughs> like, sure right well and he did that with such like gusto in his career i some people know this, some people don't, because I'm a huge Dylan fan. I one of my favorite periods was his gospel period, and there are three yep. distinct albums that that Dylan put out that were that were Christian albums. He yep. was living in California at the time. He encountered the Jesus movement, which was happening in Southern California, and I, I think actually it was probably all over California. But he actually played. This is a little known fact that uh, Keith Green, who is a Christian artist, died early mm -hmm. in the 80s. Bob Dylan actually plays harmonica on a, on a Keith Green song. That's really because cool. Because yep. they all got to know each other through this Vineyard movement and Calvary yep. Chapel movement, um, Chuck Smith and others out in That was that kind so of apostolic movement there that was happening in California, right? Mm-hmm. The whole well, Azusa thing, or was it around that time? Like, yeah, yeah, yep. sort of, kind of. I, I don't know if it was Maybe. around Azusa or not, but I definitely know is kind of that Jesus revolution. It's it's kind of sure. There's been the, a few that have come through. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and and Bob Dylan here, he'd been so successful up to that point. When he'd made these three albums, every time people would go to the concerts, he would only play the music from those albums. And they, they were really upset because he had this whole catalog and he just put that aside. And even to the point of, there was a song I grew up with by a guy named Dallas Holm. He sang Rise Again, which was like a huge song when I was a kid in, in, in church. And so... Um, but just to have the, the chutzpah to do stuff like that and to say, you know what, I'm going to play what I want to play when I want to play it. And even in the last few years, one of the things Bob Dylan did was he did a, a couple of albums of, stand, of standards. And, and it's like, dude, when Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett and Dean Martin do these songs, they sound amazing. <laughs> when you do them, Bob Dylan, they don't sound quite as good, but he did them anyway. And Fly me to the moon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear you, man. It's 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 incredible. And I mean, you know what though? That's I think there are there are artists like that. I think 
I think those who enjoy a longevity can kind of do what they want to do. And I right. see arguments all the time. You know, bands evolved, and if they're continuing, um, you know, there's always someone or some people who have maybe put them over the top and made them famous. But the idea is, is it's like, so let me give you an example. It's like, um, like Queen continues to tour because they lost Freddie so so mm-hmm. early. But you know, Queen was Freddie was a massive part of it, but they were doing their thing before him and the thing is is you know actually to me to me more than anything being a musician you know I think that Brian May is the glue that really holds it together to be honest with you Mm -hmm. because it's his melodic sense that actually if you removed him and threw in random guitar player that would sound a bit different because while Freddie was very unique and insanely gifted you can find an incredible tenor that can mm-hmm. at least sing the music or bring something to it. But, you know, you know, that's like replacing Eddie Van Halen in Van Halen. Yeah, you could have Steve Vai right. do it, but you would know it's not Eddie Van Halen. You know what I yeah, mean? And exactly. so like yeah. the this idea. Yeah. And so, you know, Neil Sean's always getting this with Journey where they're like, oh, it's not without Steve Perry. And, and I love let me tell you, I love Steve. Sure. Perry. But the idea is he hasn't been there since 96. And the thing is, he's been offered every opportunity. He doesn't want to do it. And he's OK with it. But the idea is, is it's like I see Neil writing. He writes to the fans all the time. And he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, listen, um, I understand it's your opinion. But the band was actually started around me and Greg Raleigh in 1973. And he's like, and furthermore, um, tell that to the 90,000 people who are showing up at every single show. And what I'm trying to say is when you have a longevity, you, I'd rather, I respect more. You do what you're going to do, man, because like, it's, it's your thing. I know you throw in some of the token stuff, but as a musician too, like for Dylan, he would, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for like Dylan, it would be boring. I'm just going to play my, my same 10 songs all the time. I have like 500 songs. I'm going to play the same 10 ones. And it's like, you know, do what you want, man. You do you. If I'm coming to see it, I just want to see you do your thing. And so that does piss people off because people have a, a short, attention span pop by pop i mean like my top 10 radio mentality of you know and especially nowadays that's all they got right the, the tiktok mindset oh, so yeah <laughs> well and the thing about dylan too and i would go so far as to say because we've brought this up before i think in some mm-hmm. of these last couple of episodes we talked about how james brown and ray charles and other guys that if it hadn't been for them so many things wouldn't have happened now one of the things that another thing that bob dylan was renowned for is that he never played a song the same way twice especially early in his career to the point that some of them were indecipherable i the first time that I took Carrie. Actually, it was the second second time that Carrie and I went and saw Bob Dylan. We saw him with Paul Simon up in Connecticut at the Meadows, which was an amazing. Concert. Oh yes, but man! A couple talk years about it. That's ago, a good duo. <laughs> we saw him, and um, I because I know the lyrics for a lot of the songs, I could tell what song he was playing. But Carrie's like, "What song is this?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's you know, like a Rolling yeah. Stone or whatever." And but he just played them differently. But you know, I think about amazing. bands like the Grateful Dead, who he yep. ended up touring with. Those guys were the same way. Like they would yeah, have. Yeah. There's if you're a major Deadhead, you hear people talking about, oh, you need to hear the Cornell '77 version of Morning Dew because yeah. that's amazing. Listen to what Jerry's guitar. And, and so, if it hadn't been for Bob Dylan. You wouldn't have some of these other the free form this kind of free form stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you talk about the Paul. Simon. I remember when that show was happening. So again, when I think about the collection I have in vinyl downstairs, this is why I appreciate my father because you know that his wheelhouse, you know that his like teenage years wheelhouse yep. was doo-wop and then Motown and that kind of, and he always loved that and always came back to it. But he loved, loved, loved. You know, Simon and Garf, I have like every album. Then I have like all the Paul Simons, like Art Garfunkel by himself. And he's got Joan Baez and he's got Dylan. When I, you know, it's uh, James Taylor, Carol King. I mean, we were just listening to that the other day. But you think about all these um, great folk writers, Cat Stevens and everybody else. And you just keep going. And like all those, that's what I appreciate about my dad was that he, he, he found the 
beauty of the art of all those different things. Does that make sense? Like, and then you got the whole funk section and the Commodores and all that stuff, right? Electric, I is all the, I I mean, literally I have every electric light orchestra album and I laid them all out and I'm like, you know, people are like dying to get these and you know, I have super tramp, like, you know what I mean? Like all these things. And he just had such a variety and that's the biggest thing I want to encourage our listeners. They're so much stuff. And if you're a musician, even if it's not your, like Dylan is not my bread and butter, but I totally appreciate him mm-hmm. as an artist and listen to his stuff and stuff. But my my point is, if you want to be a great, you know, a great musician or be as good as you can be, expose yourself to a lot of different things. Like try Absolutely. try the whole buffet. Maybe everything at the buffet is not for you. But yep. at least you're trying everything, and, and and you might bring something new to the table, you know, when it comes to, for example, the best thing you can take from him is not only you do you, that's a big right. one, sure. you do you, and then the other part is, is here's how to write some really great here's how to write really good lyrics elias is big into lyrics and he teases me all the time he's like you listen to this and this i'm like dude we're not going to get into a musical conversation because you're 14 but i respect (laughs) you but but he loves but you know he talks to charlotte and they talk about all these lyrical you know their intellectualism and i'm like yeah yeah, i I, I understand and i get that but sometimes i'm like you know what I, i go elias i just told him yesterday i said listen buddy i go I could easily listen to John Coltrane and Miles Davis all day or instrumental guitar albums till you Mm -hmm. throw up. I go, because my brain also thinks musically and I like to listen to that as well. I go, so lyrics are really important. Musicality is really important. I go, the point is one isn't better than the other, but don't think you're all superior because you like blah, 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 blah. I go, keep exploring. However, I will give him some props. Like he really loves the killers because of the way that they write. Mm -hmm. He listens to things because of the way that the artists Right. And I think that that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, even with one of the things that I think being introduced to Blood on the Tracks and Bob Dylan in that era was really helpful for me as a musician mm. in that it you talk about the lyrics, but musically, one of the things, you know, this is a blessing and the curse of having eclectic tastes in music is that you can hear... Right these intricate I think about dream theater right the technicality of of the and the musicianship of those guys it's like unparalleled right yep but but one of the things that Bob Dylan does well is because and probably Springsteen in some ways too because they're such incredible lyricists they can take three chords you know throw in the minor you know the minor six or minor two or whatever here and there but so four or five chords and they can make an absolute masterpiece out of the simplest thing. And I well, think, you, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I, I agree with you. Listening to yep. to these guys, to me, and others who are not as gifted. I mean, I'd throw Tom Petty in there. I'd probably throw. Yep, I love Neil Petty. Young in yep. there as well. Yep. I, I I'm a hypocrite. I'll be I'll be f- f- like completely honest here that I'm an incredible hypocrite when it comes to voices. I'm much more tolerant of crappy male voices than I am of crappy female voices. Yep. But yep. Um, but those four guys especially, I, Tom Petty's grown on me too. Not a gifted singer, but writing-wise, he's written some incredible stuff. His Wildflowers album. I really, I really love, I love Tom Petty. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. totally. Full Moon I mean, Fever. And, and you know, I'll throw this in as kind of a, one of the last things, but one of one of those super groups that came out of the 80s was a band called the Traveling Wilburys, which yep. included Bob <laughs> Dylan, Tom Petty, Roy, Roy Orbison, Jeff Lynne, who's from ELO, um, and then George Harrison. And it yep. was kind of a mistake that happened. They ended up doing two albums, and... I, I mean, check it out. I highly encourage yeah, they're you awesome. if you're they are. at all into experimenting stuff. Listen to the Traveling Wilburys. Their albums just, I, I thought they're great. And I seeing think, these four incredible guys, like, you know, Roy Orbison unfortunately passed away, I think, shortly after the first album came out. So for their second second album, it was just Petty and Dylan those great and videos, and Lynn, but Those great videos from the 90s, right? Oh, yeah, dude, totally. I think that. 
I think George Harrison was the one of the the, un, the unsung glue of the Beatles. To be honest oh, with yeah. you, Big you know time. what I mean. Yeah. So Charlotte. So so the one thing I really well the many things I appreciate about my wife is, you know, she not only does she really love music, but she really um, lyrics are really important to her, and that's an important aspect of how she enjoys. Because while the music's really important especially the soul and the vibe behind it. She really appreciates. I want to know what's being said. And, you know, there's a time and a place for just the foofy fun stuff. But she's like, that's really important to me that the takeaway there, there's a there's a real takeaway from it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I first met her being Canadian as she is, her favorite, her favorite all time band. And believe me, Charlotte is very like soul and neo soul infused and you know has that that whole love of that the bare naked ladies are her favorite um group and you know you think about bnl man not only are they great musicians but they're oh, great songwriters and yes. and i was thinking about when you were talking about the same three chords on on stunt with uh, it's all been done that's the mm-hmm. whole point of that song is right. yeah i can play the same three chords woohoo it's all been done but the point of the song is is that like no matter what you still want to listen to it. You know what I mean? And there's this, there's this thing about it, how it can be really, really simple or it can be more complex because those guys can play like jazz in a set. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, there's, there's these depths and these breaths. And I think that when we compartmentalize too much, you're right, man. I love dream theater, but I, you know, it would drive me nuts to sit there for three hours and just listen to that just as much as I love an orchestra, you know, after a while you're like, okay, I need to stop. You know what I mean? And, and I think, Getting all the flavors mm-hmm. is is really important. I mean, it's like anything. The, the NFL was a good analogy. I mean, I think ice cream would be a good analogy. You might not like all the flavors, but if all you had was chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry, like Neapolitan choices, you'd be bored. Right. Like, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, and and I I think kind of as we wind down to you know, some of you may as you listen, you may say, you know what, maybe I'll give Springsteen or Dylan another chance. I encourage you to, and sometimes you have to look, anyone who's looked at art before, even like painting and poetry, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, dude. You know that you, look, hey, this that's the name of our, our podcast, Between the Frames. You know, our, our heart desire is that because we've experienced something important in all these places, that if you dig a little bit deeper than the surface, you know, a crappy voice, a gravelly voice, whatever it is, and you look a little bit deeper and peek underneath the hood, you can see that there's more depth there than maybe you would have imagined. And and I think, uh, you know, I highly encourage you. Two great movies, I think, two great artists, whether you mm-hmm. believe, and I think Joel said it really well before, you know, is Bob Dylan his favorite? He's not nearly probably in the same category as he is for me, but he can appreciate the lyricism and the musicianship and, and all those other things of him. Well, and it's an important, it's absolutely right. I mean, it's an important part of my journey. And I think that that's, that's the whole point is, you know, you have to, you know what? Anyway, listen, man, you got to pull all those things on the table and some things are going to stick and some, uh, some others aren't, but I, there's, I have times where I just throw on the album and just want to listen to it. You know what I mean? As much as Santana or anything else. Like, it depends on why I'm listening to it. I'm specifically listening and thinking about, thinking about, okay, what is he saying? When I throw on West Montgomery, I'm thinking about, okay, what the hell is this guy playing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it might be totally different reasons, but that, that's, yeah. A, a good point to take away and neither one of them subtracts you only you only win when you do that so start with my my thing is is start with the most familiar go to the essentials and start with mm-hmm. the most familiar and work your way back you might actually find that you like the stuff that's off the beaten path more to be honest with you right well and and i once upon a time i i could not stand greatest hits albums it always ticked me off that that the record companies would make an album with only one new song on it and you in order to get you know this was before this dating myself big time right because this was before the days where you could buy just one song um yeah so but as over the years i've come to appreciate them because it gives you that chance to do exactly what you're saying joel to go you listen to the essentials and then that becomes kind of the the 
appetizer to go back and say, hey, my main course is going to be going back. ELO is a perfect example of that. I had their yeah, greatest hits album right. first. And then yep. I went back and I started buying New World Record and uh, Face the Music, um, not Face the Music, El Dorado and all these other. And well, it, it was I'll a wanna, really good thing for yeah, me. I, no, thousand percent. I, I'll, you know, I think that um, <laughs> I'm going to throw something out funny and we need to land the plane. But yeah. I always liked The Clash, but I always forgot which song was which for a while. And before I really dug in and got big into them was, uh, oh, man, you're going to laugh. This is totally going to be off the beaten path. But it was because I heard the hook on uh-huh. a Will Smith song awesome. from Will 2K. It was his Wild Wild West song, actually. Uh-huh. And it's Rock the Cashbot that he's using. Oh and I go, gosh. why do I know this? This is so catchy. And then I started digging in. And I'm like, I know what this is from. And then I started going down the whole landslide. But it came from that. So it's important to know, like, and that's another way that music influences and influences and influences, Absolutely. right? Like, I mean, it's oh, that yeah. whole story of if we didn't have this, we wouldn't have this, and we wouldn't have that, and then we wouldn't know about this. And so go take that journey. Yeah, it's fun. Definitely. Take that journey and... We'd love to hear what you think about it. Let us know, like, hey, liked it. Hey, didn't. Hey, you've given us a new appreciation for these guys. Or, you know what, I'm still not convinced that they're great. Hey, whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you about it. Send us an email, podcastbetweentheframes at gmail.com. If you have ideas about stuff, you know, there's been a little bit of a trickle here and there. People have asked, hey, would you guys consider doing an episode on this or that? Like I said, we've got one more episode, I think, that's in this series and then we're going to kind of go off on our own but would love to hear from you with some ideas if you like the the podcast please by all means if the platform you're listening on allows you to rate it follow us share it out with uh, to other people because we would love to get some more listeners as well so um thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to us. Like I said, this is our 25th episode. We're grateful to have come this far. Grateful to be able to share some of our thoughts with you, sharing our passions together as friends as well as we continue to look between the frames. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Between the Frames with John and Joel. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to click subscribe and give a share and a follow on social media. Each episode will look to dive into the deeper meanings behind movies, music, and culture as it relates to life and faith. Thanks for listening and see you next time.